Welcome to Yarns at Yin Hu, a podcast about the fiber arts and other post-apocalyptic skills. This is episode 283, That August Feeling, Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. I'm your host, Sarah. You can find me on social media as Sarah Pomegranate. Each time I record a podcast episode, I post show notes, photographs, and links to things I talk about on my website, yarnsatyinhu.com. And you can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thank you so much for listening and joining me today. I'm happy to take this opportunity to record an episode It's August and there's that August feeling. In eastern Pennsylvania, the August nights become more and more crowded with insistent insect noises. And those sounds always remind me of that, I don't know, sort of like nervous belly feeling about going back to school. Uh, That's always the way I remember falling asleep at night and thinking about, oh, school's starting soon. And even well into adulthood, I still get those August feelings. Um, When you turn that page of the calendar and the insect noises start to build. We've had some other excitement around Yin Hu. A lot of bear sightings um, since the midsummer. We really didn't see much in the way of bears in late spring or early summer, but they seem to be very active now, and we've spotted at least two different bears, possibly three. And one of the reasons for that is we are working this summer on clearing a lot of the undergrowth out of property that's visible from our porch. And so our sight lines are starting to improve and we're starting to see a lot more activity. Maybe they've always been there. We just weren't aware. Uh, We've also been having a great time watching hummingbirds at our feeder and a wren pair built a nest in a potted plant that is less than a foot from my porch floor. So (laughs) the wrens have been busy. They've been acting a little irritated with us for using our porch. I guess they didn't think of that when they built the nest, but it's really fascinating to watch them work, see the architecture of the nest they built. And as of yesterday, one of the little wren chicks had hatched. So I think today probably the rest will begin hatching and the feeding frenzy will really pick up. In mid-July, Dr. Lily and I gave our two-part presentation at Fiber World. We were so pleased with the results Uh, and how many people were in attendance. It really surpassed our expectations. We spent a great deal of time thinking and talking and planning how to 
focus some of the points that Dr. Lilly made about Elizabeth Zimmerman and her life over, it was over eight hours in the podcast series, but we really had to consolidate that down to about an hour and a half split in two sections, time for questions, what slides would we show, how would we present this information, and we worked really, really hard. (laughs) On Saturday, when we were finished with both of our sessions, um, (laughs) we both in in our separate homes, far away from one another, just reported that we fell into a deep slumber, sort of like relief, exhaustion, you know, all of that tension building up of presenting at a, an online conference. Um, you'd think it would be easy because you stay in the comfort of your own space, but really there are so many unknowns. And I'd never been on that side of a presentation before. Over the school year, I've attended quite a few online conferences, but I've never been taxed with the responsibility of presenting something to folks. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being there, those of you listeners who were able to tune in um, and contributing questions, contributing some participation uh, as you were able during those sessions. I also attended the Hudson Valley Textile Project Summit on Friday, July 30th. It was fabulous. There was so much information that by the end of the day, I started to become really, really tired from processing it all and not used to such an active day of socialization and information. The keynote speakers were Clara Parks and Cecilia Nelson-Hurt. There were also presentations by some folks in the industry and a number of New York legislators who have been hard at work passing bills and incentivizing agricultural production, uh, New York products, farms, and fibers, and trying to be as inclusive as possible with that legislation to give greater access. So it was very eye-opening. I think, you know, not being from New York, um, I wasn't as familiar with how engaged the New York legislators are with, with this community and these practices. It was great to hear from them. Some presented from afar. Some appointed their staffers to come in and speak for them, and some actually attended the conference. There was also a little vendor market where some members set up tables to either talk about or sell their products. Just overall, a great day to connect with folks I know and adore, and to make some new friends as well. The concluding event to all that Dr. Lilly and I have been working on with Elizabeth Zimmerman and the emergence of critical knitting 
is a Zoom call that will be a birthday celebration for Elizabeth Zimmerman. Her birthday is August 9th, and we will be celebrating on Sunday, August 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And uh, this Zoom call will last for about an hour, and we will talk about some of her artwork and some other interesting anecdotes that we were not able to incorporate in any of the podcast episodes, but are nevertheless extremely interesting. Dr. Lily will be joining me and will be sharing these anecdotes and information. She will also take questions. And if you have any questions for me, I'd be happy to respond to them too. Uh, And we will be uh, sharing some desserts featuring ginger. This is in honor of the fact that Elizabeth Zimmerman had at one time a business making and selling gingerbread houses. Dr. Lily found an ad that she had placed for this. I guess before all of the yarn and, and knitting really picked up, she was incredibly entrepreneurial and did a whole bunch of different things, one of them being making these gingerbread houses. So we decided that ginger and ginger-based desserts would be the uh, inspiration for our our baking or making. So you're welcome to join in on that if you have a favorite ginger recipe and you'd like to make it in celebration of Elizabeth's birthday, do so. Maybe you have some ginger tea that you'd like to brew uh, and drink while we're meeting up on the Zoom call. Um, Or maybe you'd just like to see what everyone else is doing. But you are welcome to join us. How will you do that? Well, if you send me a personal message via Instagram or Ravelry, I will send you the Zoom link. I will also post the Zoom link to um, the Yarns at Yinhu podcast group on Ravelry about an hour before the call starts at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Sunday, August 8th. So if you didn't get the email or you decide at the last minute that you'd like to join us, I will post it online If you'd like to have it ahead of time and like to have the peace of mind of having it ahead of time, please just message me personally with your email address and I will send it to your email address so you have it. I think that will share the link with as many people as possible without just broadcasting it online well in advance um, so that there aren't any problems or hangups. And like I said, the call will last for about an hour. You are welcome to join in anytime. Don't worry about being there on time. I'll keep a close look on on the participation and allow anyone in who's in the waiting room. On this call, I will also be announcing the winners for our Elizabeth Zimmerman baby surprise jacket knit along. The way that you can enter this drawing for several prizes that I have 
is to post a photograph of your finished baby surprise jacket on the Ravelry thread for our ongoing conversation about the Elizabeth Zimmerman podcast series. So if you go into the Yarns at Yinhu podcast group, you'll see a thread titled Easy Chat Episodes 267, et cetera, et cetera, all the odd numbers episodes up to 281. There are 226 posts in that thread. That's where you add your photograph of your finished baby surprise jacket. And I will select the winners shortly before starting the Zoom call and announce them on the call. You do not need to be present on the Zoom call in order to claim your prize. I will also have one prize just as a chatter prize because there have been a lot of folks contributing, asking Dr. Lilly questions, commenting on what they enjoyed about the series or their own memories of Elizabeth Zimmerman and her writing. So uh, I will also be drawing one prize that has nothing to do with the knit along uh, and is just for fun. So go ahead there and enter and do that uh, sometime before 6 p.m. on Sunday, August 8th in order to be eligible for a prize. And I think those are all of the details about our final Dr. Lily and Elizabeth Zimmerman event. It has been a long run. We began talking about this series following the holidays. So January of 2021 and posted our first episode in February and have continued working on these ideas all the way through the summer. This has been just such a worthy endeavor. It feels so good to talk to someone and be able to continue collaborating with someone who is so knowledgeable. And um, I'm, I'm really grateful and fortunate to have had all of this time uh, to work with Dr. Lily. And thank you all of you for listening along and sharing how this has impacted you. All right, so that was a lot of news and chatter, but it's been nearly a month, so lots to catch up on. I have completed a few projects. One is the outline tee designed by Jessie May. I knit this in Shushan Linen Blend. It's a 50-50 wool linen blend um, that's been spun at Battenkill Fiber Mill and available for sale on Mill Street Textiles' website. There are very few skeins of this yarn left and no plans for another run on it at the mill. As Mary Jean and Carol and the other folks at the mill are on to other things and preparing for sales at Rhinebeck and other fall festivals. So if you want to get your hands on some of this, 
act quickly and I do highly recommend it. It's beautiful, beautiful fingering weight yarn. It's cool to the touch. It knits up soft and lovely and was really perfect for this outline tee. The outline tee by Jessie May, it's very, very popular uh, pattern right now. There's also a tank top pattern is expertly written, comes in a very large range of sizes and was super fun to knit. The drop stitches are really cool. They add a lot of I think they work to add a lot of drape to the garment. And the only thing that I wasn't happy with upon finishing it was the back neck was rolling pretty significantly. I did a little bit of crochet around the neckline to try and correct that, but I still wasn't happy with that aspect of the top when I wore it to the summit at the end of July. So the next day with my coffee, I sat and I thought, okay, how am I going to fix this? Because I really want to wear this top and that rolling back neckline is super irritating. It also felt like the neckline was a little bit too big and threatening to fall off my shoulders a little bit. So I took a much smaller crochet hook. I think I took a B crochet hook and more of the beautiful yarn. And I just crocheted again, another round around the neckline. I worked from the inside because I think with a crochet border, it's more attractive if you work from the wrong side of the work. So I worked from the wrong side of the work and I crocheted around just one stitch in every stitch, one single crochet in every stitch. But with the smaller hook size, it really helped to cinch things up. I haven't worn it yet with this fix, but I did try it on and take a look. I steam blocked it again to kind of soften it and help everything work together. And I think this is going to be a good fix. I wonder if I should have just cast on the smallest size of this sweater. Um, My gauge tends to be loose, so it's not unusual for me to go down a needle size and go down a pattern size. In this case, I knit the small, but there is an extra small. Maybe that would have worked better, fit me a little bit better. Um, I did add a bit of length to this cropped tee, just a little bit. Um, It is still cropped, but has a bit more coverage than the way it's shown in the pattern. Overall, I highly recommend the yarn, of course, and I also recommend this tee pattern by Jessie May called the outline T. Since I've spoken to you, Tour de Fleece has opened and closed, and I was able to spend quite a bit of time working on plying up spindle spun singles that I spin all year long in my meditative spindling practice. 
So I had quite a few different bits of fiber that I worked on spinning. And then I finished up spinning the last of singles on my wheel until I felt I had enough singles for another three-ply combo spin. I finished with about 630 yards of a three-ply, 300 grams. The predominant color is lavender, but there are pops of lots of different colors. Barber pulling throughout, and I think it's overapplied. It didn't seem like it was overapplied when I was working on it. It was going on the bobbin, but it's a little bit stringy. In fact, I had a very panicked moment since it's been over a year since I've used my wheel that maybe I plied in the same direction I was spinning and had created string by mistake, but I didn't. It's plied in the appropriate direction, just a little too much spin on it, I think. I haven't knit or knit a swatch with this yarn, and I do plan on knitting with the yarn. It's not as soft as I imagined it would be or you know, the way I so enjoyed working with the combo spin I did this time last year. Nevertheless, I think it will knit up into something interesting. And the look of this yarn is, it bears a strong resemblance to spin cycle yarns. So I may look at patterns that have been designed for spin cycle in order to find something interesting that will work for this yarn perhaps pairing it with a solid color. I don't know. I plan to kind of let this sit in my stash a little while while I think about what I want to do with it. I'm very pleased with the yardage. So I have a lot to work with. And, uh, you know, I'll just take my time and give that some thought. Ever-expanding skill set. I just wanted to talk quickly about a few things I've been doing in my kitchen this summer and some recipes I've been going back to again and again. One is incredibly simple, and that's for a simple syrup made with garden herbs. So I've been making a mint syrup, a basil syrup, a sage syrup, And I think next I will try a thyme syrup. This involves bringing a cup of water and a cup of sugar to the boil, then making sure all the sugar is dissolved, removing it from the heat, and throwing in handfuls of fresh herbs. So you could do a blend, but I prefer to get the streamlined approach of a single flavor. I let the herbs sit there for about 45 minutes or so and then strain into a mason jar that keeps in my fridge. It is fantastic for a drink just over ice with water or seltzer water, maybe a squeeze of some sort of citrus. It's brilliant. So you get just the hint of sweetness, but not a sugary drink. 
It's also a lot of fun to play around with in making cocktails, trying with, you know, different spirits and adding citrus, adding some soda water if you choose or drinking it just straight up. I've been playing around with a cocktail I call Sage Advice, (laughs) which includes some Japanese whiskey as well as sage syrup and lemon. I've also been making a cucumber mint mojito using the mint syrup. It's just endless, the possibilities. So we've been having a lot of fun with that. I've also made several times a no-churn lemon ice cream. I will link to this recipe. You may be familiar with it, but it's a great experiment for making ice cream at home if you don't have an ice cream maker. It is bracingly lemon flavored because the recipe relies on a lot, a lot, a lot of lemon juice and lemon rind in order to kind of coagulate the cream and get that creamy texture. If you don't like preservatives, you like to know exactly what's in your food, this would be a great recipe. It's also fun to try with kids. And we have enjoyed that several times. And finally, I have made an Atlantic beach pie. Samuel and I made these, two of them, and took them to a local gathering and they were a huge hit. Atlantic beach pie is a riff kind of on the key lime pie idea. It's made with saltines in the crust instead of a graham cracker crust. And in the filling, there's the typical, you know, sweetened condensed milk. I substitute four egg yolks for two egg yolks and another half cup of sour cream, like a a really dense delicious sour cream. I've been loving Faye's sour cream. If you can find that in your supermarket, I think it's a superior product. I love it. And, um, you can use, instead of just lime juice, you can use a mix of lime and lemon juice, or you could go just lime or just lemon. And I serve it with a sprinkling of rind and salt and whipped cream. It's refreshing. It cuts really nicely into small slices, which is something I love, especially when you bring desserts to share at an event, because usually there are several desserts and people like to try everything and they're like, oh, could you just, I just want a little slice. And if you've ever tried to cut a fruit pie into small slices, you know, it's, it looks like a bloodbath. It's horrible. It's very difficult to cut a fruit pie into small slices. This kind of pie is super easy and it's refreshing because it's served cold. It's just a great all around pie. Highly recommended. So I will post the links to all of these things in my show notes in case you'd like to give them a try. I've been sewing and working on my mostly handmade wardrobe. 
I did a bit of a closet clean out organization updated with uh, summer clothing. I had put some things away and didn't really do the closet changeover from cool weather to warm weather clothing that I should have like in April. (laughs) Um, So in July, I sort of finished that process, reorganized my closet, gave all my sweaters a shake, that kind of thing, and took a look at what I had, what I was wearing a lot, and also organized my shoes and took my briar clogs into a shoe shop for repair for the first time. I have two pairs of Briar. This is B-R-Y-R clogs. They are made by an all-female company in California. I prize these shoes and I am such a proud customer. I've really tried to make a commitment to buying boots and shoes that can be repaired so they have a very long life and I don't need to replace them. And on the Briar website, there's a lot of information about how to care for your shoes and when to take them in uh, to a shoe repair person to get them fixed up when they wear down. So the pads, the rubber uh, pads on the heel part, not the footbed, but the heel part, were wearing thin, especially at the back. I do wear these clogs for driving, even though it's recommended that you don't. And so the back wears uh, a little bit. And the key is to replace that rubber pad before it starts wearing down on the wood of your heel. And then you can also, you know, ask the shoe repair person to buff them up a little bit because the wood gets scratched and dirty, things like that. So two days was all the the repair took, $18, and my clogs are like brand new. They're wonderful. So that was great. And I know, you know, eventually maybe this um, footbed pads will need to be replaced as well. Uh, But I know I have a great shoe repair person locally. And I know that I can really extend the life of these shoes by taking good care of them. So I'm thinking, uh, since I don't really buy back to school clothes, that my back to school wardrobe purchase may be another pair of briar clogs. They are an investment, but they wear well. They get tons of attention. I can't tell you the number of compliments I get on my shoes. Everyone notices them. Everyone covets them. And I'm super proud to wear something that has been made by hand so well by women uh, on the West Coast of the U.S. I also discovered in looking through my closet that what has been getting the most wear are my Amy jumpsuits and Amy jumpsuit hacks. I love these garments. (laughs) The Amy jumpsuit is a beautiful sleeveless jumpsuit. It's like a strap shoulder 
long and flowing with very deep pockets and a belt. It's super versatile. It's so much fun to wear because it kind of swishes and swings and the top is lined. So I wear it without a bra or any undergarments on the top. And then since I was getting so much wear out of the two jumpsuits that I had made, I decided to hack the pattern into a dress bottom. It's a little bit easier uh, to wear, especially social situations or um, you don't know necessarily what the bathroom situation is going to be. It's just a little more practical. And the dress version is also wonderful. I've made two. I wear them all the time. So I decided that with some purple double gauze that I've had in stash, I would make another version of the Amy jumpsuit dress hack. This time I made it without a belt because I rescued a belt from an anthropology top that I've had in my closet. It kind of keeps getting rotated into my closet for summer and then back out for winter without my having worn it. And the reason for that is a little too small and I didn't like the way the belt was fitting around the waist of this top anymore. So I used my seam ripper and released the belt from the top. And then I examined this belt. It's made with a lot of different pieces of scrap fabric. So it's highly textural. There's some uh, metallic threads in it. Uh, it's quite stylish and interesting. Great with a plain colored dress, I thought. So I figured out how to open up one end of the belt and I added another segment to this fabric belt using scraps of fabric that I had around and kind of imitating the style that I saw. Then I put a hook and eye closure on the belt because one of the things that happened was it was always slipping a little bit when I tied it shut. So now it appears to be tied shut, but really there's a hook and eye closure keeping it stable. And it looks fantastic with this double gauze dress as well as all of the other jumpsuits <laughs> and Amy dress hack um, versions that I've made. So I continue to get a lot of wear out of that and to think about other patterns that might give me the same sort of features that I love, which is um, multi-season because it could be made in linen or other fabrics that really span the seasons, a plain color because that really lends itself to wearing with a lot of different knit items. It kind of coordinates with everything. I like the long length. It's great for with strappy sandals. And then it also works for boots when the weather turns colder. And it has no sleeves. So it's great when the weather is hot. But then it's easy to layer when the weather gets cold. 
So I think more pieces with those kinds of features will really be the best addition to my handmade wardrobe moving forward. I've been very, very much enjoying them. Off the shelf, I would like to close today by reading a poem from A More Perfect Union by Terry Ellen Cross Davis. This is a poetry book I won in an Instagram contest, and it just arrived yesterday. So I've been reading through her poems. Terry Ellen Cross Davis was a poet at the Geraldine R. Dodge Festival early this uh, last fall. Uh, That is a New Jersey organization that runs a festival. This time it happened online. I tuned in looking for new poets that I had never heard of before. And one of the first sessions I attended was Terry Cross Davis reading some of her beautiful poetry. I've been following her along on social media ever since and was just beyond thrilled to win a copy of her recent poetry collection. So what I'm going to read to you today is a three-part poem. It's titled Blackberries. And though she doesn't mention it, it brought to mind for me a very famous poem by Seamus Haney called Blackberry Picking. One of the reasons I'm deeply familiar with this poem is that it appeared as a prompt for the AP Lit and Comp exam. And for many years when I was teaching AP literature, I had my students write to this prompt about this poem by Seamus Haney. And since I've transitioned to gifted and talented coordinator, I have volunteered to read the essays and score the essays of other students uh, for a fellow teacher who likes to give students kind of like a pretest and then scores and feedback from other teachers in order to help them prepare for the AP exam. So every year for many years now, I've read between like 40 and 60 essays about this poem, Blackberry Picking. So you can imagine my intense interest when I come across this poem called Blackberries. Now she has it separated, and this is important, into two words, Blackberries. And she takes this poem in its three parts from the very literal blackberry picking to something more conceptual and intensely personal. Blackberry Picking by Terry Ellen Cross Davis from her poetry collection, A More Perfect Union. One. Whidbey Island, Washington. Leave it to the 70-year-old black woman, her honey skin glowing, to tell me where the best blackberries grow on this island in the Puget Sound. 
reaching into the circular bushes, cautious of the cane's red thorns, I hunt for the blackest berry. A ripeness betrayed by fattened drooplets, skin near bursting, purple streaking my fingers up to the elbows. Nature shows her work, clusters on biennial vines. Know the tender ones won't satisfy. Persist. Let your fingers stroke the yielding weight of sweetness, a near-hidden whisper of a kiss. Bloodberries, joyful and round, dappled in luster of late afternoon sun. Two, Limerick, Ireland. The blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice, I told my Irish friend, his speckled hand reaching deeper into a homegrown bush of currants, searching for the ripest for his black American guest. The young ones, a blushed violet, bled streaks on his cream fingers, but he kept pushing past crimson, dark garnet, until the sweetest midnight unveiled itself. The intermittent sun shed ribbons of yellow light over the River Shannon. The swimming swan's tragedy, a soul surviving Gosling, all eclipsed by the black current, its tender rupture on the hilt of my tongue. Three, Mombasa, Kenya. With long braids and dark skin, few knew I wasn't Kenyan. Here, melanin was a blessing. The batik bikini, baby oil, equatorial sun. How black could I get? I never burned, only burnished strains of buttermilk blocking anything deeper. I could not have done this in the States. I would never call it tanning having never been tan. But in Mombasa, drunk on a camel, crossing the spilling evening sand, ocean surf my cover band, I chased my color, taunted it to come out and play. Play.